Hello, friends. I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. Good morning, JP. How are you? I'm good, Drew. Good to see you. Man, it's good to see you. Good to be back at your dining room table again. So, this is where it all happens. This is where it all happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, we wanted to extend a thanks to our listeners, those of you that are listening and that we've gotten texts from and feedback from. We just want you to know that we're grateful that you're listening and we're thankful for the texts that you send us and the emails and all the conversation that that sparks. And we're grateful for the wide breadth of people that have been responding. We're getting feedback from people that go to a traditional institutional church every Sunday morning. We're also hearing from people that used to do that, but maybe don't anymore. People that are in various forms of non-traditional Christian communities, kind of doing church in different ways, or people that are even wondering where they fit in all this. So we're hearing from all of you, and we're really we're really grateful for that because we think this is an important conversation. We're glad to have you a part of it. And Drew, we've got to do some type of mailbag episode yeah, at I some agree. point. Certainly. I agree. Yeah, maybe that'll come up here in the next few weeks. Uh, we've We've been hearing from people that we've known a long time, that we see regularly, and we've been hearing from people that maybe we haven't heard from in a while. It's just been incredible, the the feedback that this has gotten. So if you're listening to this podcast, thank you. We appreciate it. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Rob Reeves. I've known Rob Reeves for 14 years. Uh, Rob's in his early, mid-60s. From 2007 to 2011, we were part of the same church. I was the youth minister at this church. He was one of the youth deacons. So I want you to imagine, if you've ever been in one of these settings, kind of the larger-than-life personality, <laughs> kind of sitting in the corner, kind of holding court. Um, Rob is lovable and decisive and brash, but in a humble way, <laughs> and always, always ready to admit his faults, um, but always ready to have a conversation on any topic you want to have. I don't know that I've ever seen a better mentor of young men. Mm. Uh, I had lunch with Rob recently, and I was like, how many, how many of those teenagers that, that we worked with that are now late 20s, some early 30s, how many of those do you, do you still keep in contact with? And he said, well, I'll just narrow it down to the ones that still come over to the house. Mm. And he started listing double digits, and I'm like, oh my goodness, Rob keeps up with more of them than I do, <laughs> you know? But... He loves the Lord and he loves the church. He uh, He's going to tell you how he came to faith because he wasn't raised in this. And he's going to be really honest about some tough times and why he's stayed through it all. And so this is going to be uh, robbing the raw, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, let's dive into this episode where JP interviews his friend Rob Reeves. Rob, good to see you. Yes, my friend. How you doing? Very well, very well. Good to see you again. Well, I appreciate you doing this. I know we had lunch a few few weeks ago to kind of kind of talk this out. And I appreciate your willingness to do it. If you could, why don't you start by just telling us your faith background, how you came to the Lord, how you came to church? Well, it'll let's be a little bit of a story. Um, my, my dad was career military, so we moved around all over. I did not have a church background at all. We didn't go to church. Uh, we didn't talk about church. 
Uh, my folks actually were Christian, I think, when they were in college, but there was never a time that uh, we really went to really went to church. So really, my dad was atheist. Uh, he would say he was agnostic. I'd actually say he was really more atheist. Um, I love my dad. So he was the one that I actually followed along that path. And so when I was growing up, I'm 63 now. So I graduated from high school in about 1975. And uh, I was doing all kinds of stuff that kids in high school in the early 70s were doing. So I started certainly drinking by the time I was a sophomore, smoking dope uh, by the end of my sophomore year. And some other drugs started following through uh, with that. Still not, never, again, never interested in going to church, never going, no background in it, no right or wrong. Everything was left up. It wasn't that everything was left up to me because my parents actually had rules from that idea of that smoking dope was really wrong other than there was a legal issue with it uh, or that, you know, you get a little bit of trouble with the cops. But there wasn't, there, it wasn't really, I never considered it really sort of a moral issue, but then things took off from there. So then it became the issue of sex and everything else. So that went on for, for certainly throughout my college years. One of the interesting things when, when I was, uh, actually, I guess my freshman year, I did so magnificently well, and I performed at such an outstanding level. My university um, asked me to step out for a year and wait and, and give it a little bit more thought, see if I'd be more serious coming back. So when I came back, it was the beginning of my of my peers' junior year, and there was a gentleman uh, that uh, we partied with during that freshman year, a gentleman by the name of Randy, and I've lost his last name through the years. But again, so this is literally like 43 years ago, so this would have been in like the fall of 77. And Randy, where he was always more spiritual than we were, he had actually developed uh, his faith over the year that I was gone. So when he and I came back, we were very friendly. I was still partying, still drinking, chasing women, smoking dope. And Randy, we would have conversations and Randy was trying to share his faith with me. Hmm. We had we had several long conversations over the next two years while he was in school there. And it was always very fascinating to me. I literally had all the standard arguments of all the atheists, you know, you know, if there's a kind of loving God, why do all the terrible things happen? If there's a kind of loving God, you know, and but I, I do remember there was something about with Randy. There's one response that he made one time. Again, this is 43 years ago. And my comment was, he said, with all with everything that is just so so evil that we know is evil within the world, Randy, how how could there be a kind and loving God that directs everything? And Randy, I remember Randy's response, not word for word, but Randy's response was he says, Well, Robin said it's interesting. He said, because when I look and I see the world and I see the creation and I see I see the beauty in the world and I look at it and I can't see how people don't see God at work in this world. And it's interesting because that, that message actually resonated with me to the point that I've always remembered it. And I tell this story years later. Now you have to remember, I'm 20 years old at this point in time, yeah. but I wasn't baptized until I was 36 years old. I mean, so there was a span of 16 years in here where he got me thinking the seed was, you know, the seed was sown. Randy doesn't have any idea that I ever became a Christian. He has no idea at all. But the impact then on me and my family as, as time has passed, my son now and his wife and his daughter, uh, the impact I think that I've had was with some of the young people in the church. Uh, it, it's really it's really quite uh, quite amazing. I said, but 
there was a span of time then for probably mm, time I was out of school until I got married, which I got married when I was 31. And I still wasn't Christian. My wife was, but I wasn't. Mm. And I remember when Jenny got pregnant with Taylor mm-hmm. that, and again, I have this big pat, I have this big, horrible past. And certainly there was a lot of sexual sin that was involved. There were pregnancies that were involved. It was, it was not a good deal. And the pregnancies, unfortunately, were terminated, which at that point in time was always interesting because I didn't have any issues with it. But I remember, and Jenny remembers this too, that I, Taylor was starting to kick it's probably the only true epiphany that I've ever had, that 180-degree turnaround just in a moment. And I had my hand on her stomach because he was just starting to kick, and he did kick. And I'm going to get emotional thinking about it, uh, literally 30 years later, <laughs> that suddenly it was like, oh, my God, he's alive. And it was an immediate about face all these things that i had believed to be true before it was like that one that was a huge pivotal piece that just turned and when that when that turned it really took me into all other all kinds of other areas like it's like well if i believe this where else where else am i missing the boat because now all of a sudden this concept of life and now this this idea of said then i started to study god And, and at this point i was probably about 35 years old and you know you had to prove things to me. It needed to be proven to me that God was there because I always struggled with getting my arms around God. But somehow I was able in studying the scriptures and, and not just reading the scriptures, but actually studying them. I could actually get my hands around Christ. Mm-hmm. And Jesus Christ, which I was, you know, didn't take a whole lot of work to realize that now we have historical records, documentation uh, that Jesus Christ was here. There's no really people that, argue that point and with the apostles i could never understand how the apostles could willingly go to their deaths terrible deaths for something that they would know to be a lie Mm -hmm. you know that they you know i couldn't i couldn't figure that one out and so basically it sort of literally left me with the idea said since since christianity is based for me it's based on revelation and and miracles Mm -hmm. and based on what they were saying and Christ was here, and they were saying he's the son of God. They went to these horrible deaths anywhere from, you know, very shortly after his crucifixion to literally 60 years later. How would they all go to their deaths knowing that they were actually professing a lie? And at that point, then I could actually accept that Jesus Christ then was the son of God, who they said he was. And much to my chagrin, if he was the son of God, that meant there was a God. Yeah. And at that point... Then it, to me, once I could prove to myself that then the Bible was actually the revealed will of God, r- revealed w- word of God, then it didn't make a difference whether or not I liked what he had to say or whether I didn't like what he had to say. It was just true. And it needed to be consistent with the character of God. So the more I would study, the more it was simply reinforced. So it was literally, it was about a 16-year process for me from the start to the finish that was, I mean, that, that literally, that, that was my conversion. And, uh, uh, but it took a long time with me wondering. And but when it happened, that, that probably, that whole thing, that probably didn't last longer than probably about 18 months, you know? And I went, to, I literally, I went to the cross kicking and screaming because I did not want that to be true. Because if, 
if that's true, then I've got to, I have a lot to be judged for and some horrid things when you start to realize what you've really done. Yeah. And that's you know, those aren't warm, fuzzy moments. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that, that's that's that, that's my conversion. JP, I'm grateful for Rob's openness and some of the stories that he tells about his own journey of growth and longing and what his friend Randy, who witnessed to him, which I think it's incredible that he remembers Randy mm-hmm. and Randy, who he's lost touch with, has no idea the seeds no that idea. he's planted. I think that's incredible. But one thing that Randy said is that I can't see how people can't see God in the world. And when he said that, I thought, man, we're all searching for something. I don't know that everybody in the world is searching for God, Mm -hmm. but I think we're all searching for something. And as Rob goes through his faith journey, I love what he said. He said, you know, I got to the point where I could actually get my hands around Christ. Mm -hmm. So his journey was, I I need to know who Christ is. I need to know who this person is that everybody's talking to and and giving major stock to. Mm -hmm. What is this all about? This was all about Jesus before it was ever about the church. And I think hearing Rob's story highlight that is a good corrective for me. Yeah, absolutely. And as I listen to his his story of his journey, his experience, his, his testimony, if you will, I have learned this over the last 10 years. When I ask someone, tell me about your religious background. Tell me about your spiritual path. It's different every time yeah. what you're told. And it can go any type of direction. Right. And sometimes it's like a fire hose. Some people are listening to this thinking, oh, I so identify with, with Rob's experiences. And some of you are thinking, I don't think I would have reacted the same way to yeah. those experiences. Or it may bring back positive or negative memories as you listen to that. But that's his testimony, right? All of us have a different testimony of how we come to the Lord. But as you say... It's, it was about Jesus before it was ever about the church. And so he was trying to figure out who Jesus was. And once in his mind, in his heart, he figured out who Jesus was. That's what sustains him yeah. through church. Because yeah. he's about to tell some painful stories of his experiences in church. And the reason he made it through, it wasn't because he just thought the church was the most lovable group of people he'd ever met. He sticks with it because of Jesus. And so... I think when we get the order wrong, when I think it's church first and Jesus second, we're really mm. going to mess up. It has to be Jesus first, and then everything else flows out of that. Yeah, I think some people who have had negative experiences of church have probably experienced people who have emphasized church over Jesus rather than Jesus over church. Mm-hmm. And I think that causes some people to walk away. And what I hope that our listeners might be hearing this podcast is us saying, we want people to know Jesus. Yes, He's the he's the one who establishes the church. He's the head of the church, yeah. which is why we believe in him and what he can do through the church. Yeah. And when Rob says he came to the cross kicking and screaming, <laughs> I don't have maybe dramatic stories on the level of Rob, but I'll tell you, Drew, in my heart, there are still days I come to the cross kicking and screaming. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all have those experiences and uh, we walk through those experiences with people together in church. And that's part of what makes church beautiful. But 
when we're all doing our own kicking and screaming sometimes that kicks up some <laughs> things that happen in church and so uh, we're going to hear from rob about some of the brokenness that he's experienced in church So you told the story of your conversion. So I assume from then on, you're going to church with Jenny, you're raising your son Taylor in church and stuff. Um, and we talked this before, I wanted you to share a story of when church life was really hard. And I know from the times we've gone to church together and the stories we've told, those times weren't always easy. They were worth it, but they weren't always easy. What's, what story did you want to tell about when things were really hard? I, I think the thing that 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 was the the hardest for me because again I'm I can't I wasn't I didn't come with the church background and uh, it was a few it was a few years after you left I think probably about two or three years after you left there was a situation that arose between one of our elders and the youth minister and one of the things that I deal with because uh, I was I was knee deep in a lot of these conversations because I was uh, my role with the youth committee and my activity level with them and then my relationship with the elders which was which was very close so I got I got dragged in and I didn't get necessarily get dragged in I wanted to be in it because I wanted to make sure that our youth minister was being handled fairly and in in what I do for a living we make which uh, we, we do we develop cleaning chemistries for cleaning like electronic circuit boards and, and semiconductors and, and, and wafers and things of that nature. And sometimes when we do, when we are involved in the cleaning process, people think it's like, oh, we found, we found a problem with the, with the cleaner. And it's like, we frequently say, end up going back and say, no, you haven't found a problem in the cleaner. So actually the cleaner did too good a job. It actually re- removed something and it is now revealing a defect that's in the surface of your part and your component that you've never realized before, or you fail to realize the significance of it. And this is something very similar to what happened within the, within the church. And for, when I watched that, and then it started to reveal other problems, not just within, not just between these two people, and then not just between some of their friends and who they've sort of like, quote unquote, their allies. Then it started to re- reveal other defects because once, once the dynamics started to go on, what I was watching is, is some of these dynamics were going on with, with the youth minister and then with the elder, sides started to be taken within the church. So I'm watching this happen between people who, who I love, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and they're loading up on two different sides. And what I watched and what was so disappointing for me was the messages that we preach of tolerance and patience and forgiveness and grace were not being extended by some of the key participants in this problem, which and other people then were starting to choose sides, which again, they were failing to recognize this, this idea of the unity of the spirit, how, how important this is. And they stopped, I think in many cases, in some cases, they stopped treating each other truly as brothers and sisters in Christ. They said they failed to internalize the message. Sometimes I think the words can become too easy and, and those attitudes haven't truly become ingrained. They don't become a part of who we are. The longer this went on, more things started to pop up. And that was, I think, one of the things. Why couldn't, why weren't people more forgiving and tolerant and patient right up front? Mm-hmm. And then as the problem developed, why were people more tolerant and patient and forgiving and the gossip 
and uh, things started to move. And it's one of those things with inertia. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a thing that takes a tremendous amount of energy and effort to get rolling. But baby, once it's going, that ball is terribly difficult to be able to stop. And it's one of the, it's a traffic wreck you can see coming. It's completely avoidable. And we got two people that got just cars just cramming together. And so that was something that for me, it was, that was a hard thing to watch. Uh, I guess it was one of those things that it was, uh, I wasn't, as it was progressing, I wasn't surprised. Yeah. I was disappointed with how, with how people had, had reacted because for me, it was more of a family. Mm. Uh, and it's like, there are times where, you know, we may not get along, we may not necessarily agree, but we should certainly be able to be able to have a conversation mm-hmm. and be able to resolve our differences without animosity. I mean, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're called to do. So, um, and, and one of the things I bring up and I, and I, and I do this, I do this with the, with the deacons. I do this with the elders. I do with this, with the adult class. I do this with the kids. And I'm like, I said, you wouldn't treat your wife this way. If you're not treating your wife this way, if you wouldn't treat your kids like this, so why are you treating anybody else like this? You need to extend that same love. The basic idea, do yourself a favor. Stop just reading scripture and start applying it in our lives. You know, I mean, the golden rule, it doesn't get any simpler than that. It's one of the problems that I had when I was an atheist, the idea of the hypocrisy. They said, you know, what in the world are, are you people thinking of? Why can't you get along? So I think from from that standpoint, I think from the hypocrisy and the witness, you know, because I think we're constant witnesses. That's what we've been called to be. We're we're witnesses. We are truly the ambassadors of Christ. And we need to carry ourselves in such a fashion. And I think that it's terribly, terribly important uh, for people to be able to see that because I look back and I think in in a formative time for me, uh, when my faith was just starting to come together, if I'd watched something like that, how devastating that could have been, and and it could have set me potentially on a different path. Church division, church splits, these things are hard and these things are painful. And I'm grateful that Rob took us through his experience with something that was really divisive mm-hmm. in church. And it and it hurts. I tell you, I work with college students now, and I tell you, the majority that grew up in church have a story like this. Yeah. That when I ask them, tell me about your religious background, your, your church upbringing, the majority of them have a story like this. And the thing about the story Rob tells it reminds me of so many other stories. These are good, godly people. They're not perfect, but they're good, godly people. And the issues they're talking about, I'm not trying to say the issues don't matter, okay? And I can't, I don't know all the details of the circumstance he's, he's mentioned, but I just think of other situations. It's not that the details don't matter. So churches can have doctrinal disputes, but how we respond to that is also a doctrinal issue. So when mm. he talks about yeah. how yeah. you're not showing grace and tolerance for other people. Well, I believe grace is a is a doctrinal issue. And so no matter what type of issue we're talking about, how I respond is also an important issue. And I love what he says about it exposed what was already there. Mm, yeah. And 
I think every family, every social group, every church probably has some fault lines under the surface. I mean, that's just as humans. But then it starts to expose it, and you start to see people taking sides. And as he tells this story, I'm picturing all the times I've seen this. You probably are too. Our listeners probably are too. You start to take sides, and it just begins. He talks about inertia. It begins to spin out of control. And it's so, so painful. And, and where he got me the most, he said, you know, when I was an atheist, this is the type of stuff I pointed to. And I was like, oh, man. I'm, I'm grateful that what one thing that Rob said is we are constant witnesses and constant ambassadors to Christ. That should be our primary directive or our primary motive whenever we're choosing to respond to these fault lines that you're talking about that are hidden beneath the surface. We can look at the division and the different things that we have conflict over in church, and I think we should be asking ourselves the question, am I responding like Christ might respond in a situation like this? And I love his other response when Rob said, you're looking at all these things and the way that people around you are responding, and you ask the question, would you treat your wife like this? Because if you begin to ask that question, if you begin to say when you're having a conflict with someone, if you begin to ask, okay, I'm going to treat them the same way I would treat my son or daughter, my brother or sister, my husband or my wife. I'm going to treat them that exact same way. Suddenly, that frames everything different. Yeah, I think a lot of people respond out of this good intention of I need to do, I need to come and I need to defend Christ or I need to defend his church and whatever these fault lines that are that have been exposed I need to keep it held together because that's what God would want. Christ doesn't need defending yeah. <laughs> himself. If you aim to act like Christ, that's going to do the work for you, you know, as opposed to you trying to hold the the whole situation together yourself. I think there were people that taught me this and tried to show me this, but I didn't get it till recently. Yes, there are issues that matter, and there are times I hear things that concern me in the Christian community, and I want to respond to those things, but my response matters, and people are watching my response. And there are so many times that a Christian leader can respond in a way that's more egregious than the original thing that came up. Mm, yeah. And that's what... And that's what hurts people. I always have to respond when I get frustrated with something. And I'm like, man, I think what is being said or what is being done there is wrong. But then I have to think, my kids are watching me. Hmm. Yeah. So the way we respond to difficulty and brokenness matters. But I think we're going to learn from Rob that those moments of brokenness we experience, they don't define, hopefully, our entire experience of church. We're going to hear about times where the church was there for him and the way that they've supported his family and what makes it beautiful when we're part of a, a, a body or a group of people that are image bearers of God who are trying their best to live into the fullness of who Christ calls us to be. We're going to hear about some of that and how being a part of a body like that is beautiful. So let's take a listen. This is we're in a we're in a wonderful we're in a wonderful time. I've got a wonderful church family. I love these people to death. They've been uh, 
Then I'm starting to think about it. So they've been through us, been with me in in through two very difficult times. One when I had a twin brother and he passed away uh, two and a half years ago. That was very difficult. And the people that I reached out to and that reached out to me were from from my church family. Uh, they They were my friends and there were six of them in particular that were with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you did T's wedding that Wednesday before the wedding, Jenny's best friend committed suicide. Mm. And she was to help Jenny prepare for the wedding. Cause we were trying to do as much for Taylor and Chelsea as possible, not by ourselves, but we wanted to be doing the things for the wedding. We didn't want to nothing wrong with having things catered or brought in. I said, but we wanted to actually be, doing these things and so there was that was two days i mean that was that was that was a wednesday the wedding was saturday and then again it it wasn't it wasn't just the women in our church who came to help uh i mean nina was there the todd i mean todd's wife and and maggie um they were there to be able to help uh other other Christian friends from other churches that knew Jenny through school said they came out mm-hmm. to be able to help her. None of the no other associates that came out. Yeah. Okay? That was that was the, those were the Christians that came out to be to help. And so I think in those moments of of great crisis, I always think uh, I'm sure I mentioned it to you. Or I'm sure you heard it when I was talking with some of the other kids in class. For me, I said, your character is is revealed. Uh, it's actually formed in times of great stress. And it's, I always talk about like tempering steel, where steel is made harder under pressure process. So it's tempering steel. So you, and every time you do it, it makes the steel stronger, but it also makes the steel more flexible. Okay. And you continuously do that heat, pressure, cool, heat, pressure, cool. And after a while, that steel becomes. Re- tremendously strong and very flexible. So it could take a lot of abuse. Our, our, and our characters are formed this way, that we become who we are based on the trials that we go through. And scripture deals with this very specifically. So, you know, don't, don't try to, I mean, let's not run to trouble. Let's not, let's not try to find the most painful experiences we could possibly go to. But scripture deals with this idea. So don't, you know, don't be averse to this. Don't be averse to, to hardships. Don't be adverse. He said, face this. He said, because as you go through these trials, this is what will make you stronger. This will develop your perseverance. This will develop your character. This will form your faith. This will this will give you the strength you need to truly face the trials that will come in your life. Uh, but your character is not only formed in this time period. It's revealed in times of great stress that you see not only not only who your what your friends are made of and what your church family is, is made of. It said you find out what you are made of. Okay? And sometimes that shows you things that you don't like to see and that's where then that becomes the role then again of the friends to be able to encourage and support and to be able to to help get you through this and and you witness the strength that other people have to be able to carry you through so for me i I deal with this concept these people my, my church family they are the most important people to me they 
they are my family every bit as much as my mother and my sister's, my sister's or my brother's widow and, and her kids. This church is what sustains me and supports me. And as a family, I need to be there for them. And I, and I try to be there for them. And I always, you always feel like you haven't done enough. Uh, but that idea of reaching out and, and, and loving people, and especially the people that you don't necessarily always get along with, the people that you don't know. You know, uh, we've got another a couple coming over to the house for for dinner after church on this coming Sunday. They're going to come with uh, just a young couple and they've got three, three young kids all under all under five. So we're going to have a bunch of little little critters running all around the house. And we're looking forward to but we're getting we're looking forward to meeting them. We want to welcome in these these new members. This is where the relationships are established. The relationships are established in our family around the, the kitchen table. They were established, you know, for, as we were growing up with my own son and, and my wife. Our relationships were dependent upon the, not only the quality of time that we spent with each other, but the quantity of time that we spent with each other. And he said, and that's one of the, the wonderful things the church actually provides above and beyond everything else. Is said, because at work, we're around people. We were around people that we know, but we don't necessarily share a bunch of this or the personal things at church. We're around them and engaged, provided you get engaged with your family. I mean, you could have the, you could have the most wonderful family in the world, but if that child or that parent ignores everybody else in the family, then their relationship is dysfunctional. Everybody else's relationship could be good, but if they don't participate in the family, they don't get nearly as much out of it. But the church, by offering this continued uh, exposure to one another, it's, 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 it's a remarkable thing. But unlike work, it gives me access to a complete, it just, it, it's intergenerational. It's, um, uh, I've got uh, the elders, uh, Robert Mullins, when we first came aboard into, into the church, we were going to uh, a new, basically a new members class, because, again, I'm, I'm basically the new, the new guy. Mm -hmm. Lots of questions, because you could imagine. But he was instrumental yeah. in bringing me along and listening to me and working with me and helping me to understand. Tim was another one. Uh, and those, could, those two people, could they couldn't hardly be more opposite, you know, between yeah. Tim and Robert. You know, but the idea of they're listening to me. They're hearing me. They're guiding me along the path. But they're older. They've got more experience than I have my peers that are my, that are my age. They give me an opportunity to, you know, we can talk about the families. We can talk about some of the challenges that we share and some of the challenges that we're going through as far as our faith based on everybody's family status. But then we've got the younger people in there. So Work, you're limited really to that really sort of that 25 to 55, 60 range. But in church, we've got people that, that aren't with us this year that were with us, you know, literally three months ago that passed away. They were 80 years old or 85 or 90 years old. But I've known them for 20 years. So yeah. I've learned how to be an adult through these people. I've learned how to be a grandparent. I've learned how to be a, a mentor through these people. And I. I don't get that opportunity anywhere else. Anywhere. I'm 63 anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So no, it's the only the the passing of the church, the intergenerational aspect, the young and old being together and the rhythm of it, the consistency of it. I mean, I've thought and thought and thought, where else do we see that in our culture? And you 
You don't. No. And you don't see that in a lot of churches. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I love your illustration of you can have a great family, but if you never get involved with your family, what does it mean? You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like you can have a great church, but if you're not engaged with it, you know, and I love, I love the trajectory of everything you've said, because you've told some really hard stories, some really good stories, some really powerful stories. And it's all about the same specific church. It's all about the same car, like all of that, the good, bad, and the ugly. Oh yeah. Same group of people. It's the only church I know. Yeah. You know, 26 years later. <laughs> the elders are probably saying, please, dear Lord, help him, <laughs> help him find another church. <laughs> but, but I think it's, it's so encouraging though, that like, we're going to have some good experiences. We're going to have some bad experiences. And that is just part of it. But if we can hang with it, I mean, obviously some situations could get so dysfunctional that you're like, this is toxic. I've got to get out of here for the sake of my own faith and my family. But by and large, if we endure these things, you talk about your character being revealed, you're going to come out looking more like Jesus than when you started. Mm Mm-hmm. You can't you can't run from your troubles. It said I, I go back to this to the family analogy. Mm-hmm. You can't run from your brothers and your sisters. You can't run from your mother and your father. You can't run. You can't. I mean, I guess you could. I said and maybe something would be so toxic you would have to leave. Yeah. But that's not what causes the vast majority of the problems. I mean, it, it, things aren't that toxic. They could be made toxic. I yeah. said, but they didn't start that way. And typically. You know, it's the old story. I said, even if it's toxic, you still have to drink it. Don't drink it. It's poison. Don't put it up to your lips. I mean, it's sort of like, can you spell stupid? Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, but we all struggle with that. Yeah. It's the, the idea we have so much less patience. Well, I, I hear what you're saying is if we're going to say we're family, then we've got to treat each other like family. And if we commit to treating each other like family, if we make that investment, it'll pay off. But if we just try to hang out but never really invest, you're never going to get out of it what you could have. No, and and Scripture deals with that. Christ deals with that specifically. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I go back to this idea. So we need to make sure that we are the ambassadors of Christ that Christ has called us to be. You know, if you're the witness, the witness is not called to testify to lies. The witness is caused is called to testify to truth. So let your example, mm. let your actions reveal what the truth is. And because Christ was dealing with it, he said, you know, by by how you treat each other, they will know they will know who my disciples are. So this I mean, it, it, it's a simple thing. We need to be in such a point that we do this. Because we love God. We mm. love our church. Our church, the church is not the building. The church is the people. Yeah. It's the church. That's your church. That's my church. That's that's Highlands. That's that's, that's the Christians that are out here. It's, it's everybody. We are the church. And it's like we are all, we are part of the body. We're all part of the body. And I think there are times I said, we just, we always we just need to remember that, and then mm-hmm. I said because there's beauty in the body. 
when it functions as it's supposed to function. And the body can function remarkably well, even when it is sick. The body continues to function. Yeah. You know, I said, and it gets through things and it gets better. Well, that's a good word right there. That's a, that's a good word to end on. Okay. Appreciate that. JP, there are some beautiful stories that Rob just told about his twin brother dying and about his wife's good friend dying mere days before his own son's mm-hmm. wedding and how the church comes out and responds. Uh, in the midst of brokenness, there are beautiful things that happen. You know, we've been saying that. That's the whole premise of this podcast, premise of your book. What we've been saying since episode one is that even though there is brokenness in the world around mm-hmm. us, there's beauty that can come out of it. And those are two incredibly tangible stories of that happening is that we could have gotten sucked into that brokenness, yeah. could have gotten sucked into those deaths, but the church shows up and there's beauty to come out of all of that. And the fact that he stuck around for it. Yeah. I mean, I think we said this in the conversation. Clearly there are times when it's so toxic for your faith and for your family, you got to get out. Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably the minority of situations. Yeah. And so if he had left when things were bad, he wouldn't have still been there to have received all the good. Right. And so his ability to to endure through that and then to get to get the blessing on the back end of just, this was a group of people that were there for them. And then he readily admitted it. This group of people helped him grow up. Mm-hmm. You know, Rob's very out front about his convictions, but also his faults. And, and there are many, as we were kind of joking about. But this is a group of people that helped him grow up. He mentioned the shepherds that were a part of his church. Mm-hmm. He mentioned his peer groups. And then he also... As you mentioned, he's a great mentor to those who are younger than him. There's there's a whole lot of learning and yeah. growth that happens when you participate in an intergenerational community like he's talking about. He didn't learn that by himself. Right. It was passed to him. He did he's doing now for others what other people did for him. And so one of the big takeaways for me is I know that when when church is going really well, we don't want to acknowledge the bad. <laughs> And when it's going horrible, you don't want to acknowledge the good. Yeah, it's hard to acknowledge the good. Yeah, and I think when it comes to our community life, specifically our spiritual community life in a church setting, to always be able to just take a deep breath and say, there's some good stuff here, there's some bad stuff here. What's the most faithful way to respond Mm. to this complex mess in the name of Jesus? Yeah, he said... And I've only ever known one church. He's He's been there for, you know, 15 plus years, and he's seen all of the good and the mm-hmm. bad and the ugly and the beautiful, and he's still there. And I'm, I'm sure if you asked him, he'd say, I'm still growing. That's yeah. still happening. Yeah. I love what he said at the end with talking about the body and that there's sickness in the body, but even when the body is sick, it still functions. Mm-hmm. The times when I have felt sick or I have felt ill, it's amazing that all of the organs and all of the things in my body that still function to keep me alive. So mm-hmm. when the body of Christ is sick in some way, it's still the body of Christ. It's still functioning in some way. I mean, 
We talked about this in other episodes. When you look at the state of the American church, there are plenty of reasons to despair. Right. And there are things that need to be acknowledged, confessed, repented of. But we're still going. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're sick in, in so many ways, but we're still going. And the Holy Spirit is still moving through us. I think I've said this on this podcast before, but if the church was truly a corrupt and totally broken, unfixable institution, it wouldn't still be around. But here it is. There are people who are still clinging to the church. There are people who are still coming to church to find God and find relationship with God. It's incredible to see that even in the midst of all of the brokenness and the bad rap that church Mm -hmm. gets, there's still resurrection and redemption that's happening and coming out of it. JP, thanks for introducing us to Rob. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Thanks to our listeners. We'll see you all next time.